Well, this morning, we are about to welcome in a few minutes six individuals as members of Palm Vista Community Church. We find guys, anything they need to do here? Okay. This is what we call our New Members Sunday celebration service. And I love these Sundays. If you've been with us for any length of time, I believe you do as well. And we are so grateful for the individuals you're about to meet in a few moments. But here's the question I want to start off with before we meet our new members. And it's simply this. What kind of church are these six members joining this morning? All right? In other words, how would you describe Palm Vista Community Church? If I ask you to do a little, remember this, fill in the blanks, right? Palm Vista is a blank church. What adjective or descriptor would you use to describe Palm Vista? You might say, well, it's a friendly church. It's a smaller church. It's a Southern Baptist church. It's a gospel-centered church. Well, I think all of those are true. In fact, we taught on that in our Connect 101 course that these new members have gone through. But could our church be described as a humble church, starting with its leaders? A church that knows about suffering and servanthood. A church that is super impressed with God, but not that impressed with itself. A church that really doesn't have it all figured out, but knows the one who does. And is willing to follow Christ in the crucible of suffering. And to follow him wherever his word, scripture, may lead. Church, I believe that God is making us into such a church. And I think, personally, he's been using the last several years in particular to do just that. So today we begin with our fifth and final chapter in the book of 1 Peter. And Peter, in our text this morning, is now turning his attention to the leadership of the churches he has been writing to. And he has a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement to the pastors as well as its members, all of whom in one way or the other have suffered. So would you open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, in a message entitled, A Humble Church. A Humble Church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Church, To put it simply, a healthy church is marked by the humility of its elders and its leaders. Oh, church, may God make us more and more into such a humble church. Well, let me pray, and then I'll read the text for this morning. Dear Lord, we ask that you would build your church. Oh, it is your church this morning that you would edify your church. Lord, I know there's a temptation, at least perhaps in my heart, to define a healthier, good church by a church that doesn't have problems, a church that doesn't go through suffering. 
But Lord, we know better for this book of First Peter. You have taught us well that as a church and as a people, we will suffer. But even in the midst of that, Lord, I ask that you would teach us how to humbly lead, to humbly relate, even in the midst of the trials and the suffering that we may endure by your empowering grace. We pray. Amen. Well, amen. Well, our first point this morning, elders humbly pastor. Let's read the text here. Starting with verse one, chapter five. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Let's go back to verse 1, church. Elders humbly Pastor, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Who's speaking here? Well, we know it's Peter. How does Peter identify himself in this passage? As a fellow elder. Now, by the way, Peter isn't speaking of himself as an elder, as an elderly man. No, he's speaking about the office of elder. Here at Palm Vista, there are two elders, Al and I, the elders of Palm Vista are the pastors. He's speaking to elders in the local churches he's addressing. He's speaking to pastors. And he's speaking to them as one who is a pastor elder as well. Oh, don't get me wrong. Peter, as I believe you know, was an apostle. It says here he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. But his aim here in this passage this morning is not to wield his authority as an apostle, but to identify with the local elders and pastors in the pressures they face and the temptations as well. Peter, in essence, is saying in the introduction of this passage, guys, I'm one of you, a fellow elder. He got it. He understood. See, Peter knew the crucible of of identifying with Christ. Peter knew what it was to flinch in the face of persecution. For as you recall, Peter was the one who had denied Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. It was this Peter who had basically hung it up, given it all up, returned to his previous life as a fisherman, right? When the going gets tough, right? How does it go? Yeah. Yeah, the tough go fishing. You got it, right? So that's Peter and the disciples. 
But that was before his providential encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the shores of Galilee. It was there on that beach in a sheer act of grace that our risen Lord Savior recommissioned Peter as an elder, as a pastor, to shepherd his people. We read this in John 21, 17. I'll put it up in the overhead there. Here's Jesus recommissioning Peter. We read, picking up in verse 17. He, that is Jesus, said to him, who is Peter, the third time, not once, not twice, but three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, when Peter gives his instructions to the churches here in his letter, when he says, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, Peter's not just employing a common biblical metaphor of shepherding. When he says, shepherd the flock, oh, it's personal. Peter, feed my sheep. You who denied me three times, I am not done with you yet. My grace is upon you, and I am recommissioning you to feed my sheep. That phrase was poignant, was pregnant with meaning. You see, elders, by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, shepherd the flock. And the sheep that being referred to here in this passage, they're not Peter's sheep. They're not Al's sheep. They're not Corey's sheep. They belong to Jesus. What did he say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. No elder, not even Peter, not even the Pope, has proprietary, proprietary rights over the sheep. They belong to Christ. Not only by the virtue of the fact that Christ has created each and every sheep, but that Christ has rescued and redeemed every sheep as well. Hear the Apostle Paul's words. These are his parting words to the elders of the church in Ephesus. We'll put it up there on the screen. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Listen to Paul's instruction to the elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, catch this, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, as elders, Al and I are merely under shepherds of what Peter refers to in verse 4 as the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. The one who has bought you and me with his own blood through his atoning sacrificial death upon the cross. Yeah, that chief shepherd He is your savior. We as elders are not. And this acknowledgement and this confession is a type of humble leadership. I believe Peter is talking about when he says in verse two, shepherd the flock, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The shepherding, oh, it's, it's a grace 
commissioned leadership. It's of grace. It flows from the same grace which Peter had received from Christ Jesus. So many times I look back, I wonder, Lord, knowing my sin, knowing my weakness, what in the world am I doing up here? And you may have those same thoughts at times, and that's okay. It's of grace. It's not like I daily doubt my calling or the giftings God's given me, but there is a sense that I know my selfish heart. I know my weakness. Even through college, I was terrified to stand up in front of anyone. I avoided it at every cost. I hated public speaking. And yet God called me in my sin and in my weakness to pastor his flock. It's astounding. I don't get it. But church, may I never lose that wonder. It's grace. It's grace that I can be here and have the privilege of addressing you this morning. So this, this shepherding Peter's talking about is a grace commission leadership. Number two, it's a loving leadership. It stems from the love of our Savior. Did you catch that recommissioning of Peter? What did Jesus ask Peter first? Three times. Peter, do you love me? Do you love your Savior? And what followed from that? If yes, then go feed. Tend my sheep. You get it? Love for the Savior is necessary for a love for the sheep. It's a love for the Savior which kindles compassion for the sheep. Church, please pray for Al and me that we would remember and we would not forget our first love, who is Christ. And number three, this, this shepherding of the flock that Peter's talking about, it's a limited leadership. It's acknowledging the fact that you do not belong to me, nor Al, and that not all Christians are under our leadership or oversight. See, how do we define as a church? Paul Vista, how do we define as Peter says, he said, shepherd those who are among us. Well, how do we as elders determine who is among us? Who are we to shepherd and to provide oversight to? You ever thought of that? I mean, as an elder, am I responsible for all those Christians in Miami Lakes? In Miramar? In Hialeah? In South Florida? In the Caribbean? No. It's not possible. See, membership at Palm Vista, what we're going to talk about and celebrate in these new members that we're going to introduce you to in a few moments? See, they have defined themselves through the membership process as saying, I am a member as part of the flock of Palm Vista. It defines the flock that we are to shepherd as elders. That's what membership does. It gives definition. Definition for those which Al and I will be accountable to, excuse me, accountable to God for the day we make our maker, Hebrews 13, verse 7. So we believe membership at Palm Vista is a way to draw those boundaries. Not because we don't care for other Christians, we do, but we simply can't care for other Christians in providing the same pastoral oversight that we can for you. We can't, and it wouldn't be wise for us to try to pastor those who are not part of Palm Vista. You got it? You see, the members that you're going to meet today are those to whom we are committed to providing pastoral oversight as elders. This means feeding you and every member with the word, right? Shepherds 
help feed their flock. This means exercising oversight by leading you and protecting you as a shepherd would his flock, by preaching Christ, by combating, refuting false doctrine and anything that would attempt to lure you away from Christ and the grace of the gospel. This also means if you are a member, that we're committed to running after you as he would any sheep that goes astray. There's a process called church discipline. We've talked about it in our Connect 101 class. That if you're going astray, we're going to run after you because we love you to see you restored back to the flock. You see, everything else that Peter's about to say in this text flows from this statement and this reminder. Elders, shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. This exhortation to shepherd is literally to pastor you. That's what elders do. We're pastors. We shepherd. But what comes next is very fascinating. I think what Peter's doing and what in the clauses that come next is that he's identifying the temptations that we have, particularly as elders. And he notes three contrasts. Number one, you'll see in the text, he says, we're to pastor, to shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. I mean, I read that, I'm like, you know, why would any pastor be tempted to shepherd under compulsion or constraint, rather than willingly and with a happy heart? In other words, why might a pastor at times resent his calling or duties. Church, I believe it's because as the role, as a role of a pastor, we are exposed to the greatest persecution. I'm not saying that as a victim. I'm not trying to make myself somehow elevated above you, but church, there's a reality as a pastor, we wear a target whether it comes or will come someday from the governing authorities or simply individuals or the enemy himself. We've all read the news stories of pastors targeted and fallen. Don't get me wrong. Pastor and pastoring is a noble desire. First Timothy 3. The pastoring is also a call to take the lead in suffering. Church, would you pray for Al and me? We get weary. May we never become resigned to pastoring merely out of dry duty with no delight. May it never be. And that leads to the next temptation, the third contrast stated in our text. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Excuse me, the second contrast. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I'll be honest, I don't personally know any pastor, vocational pastor, who signed up for this job for the money, okay? I know they exist, I I just don't. They didn't sign up. I want to be a pastor because of the lucrative salary, okay? But I also want to say, I I don't believe that that I am exempt from this temptation, not at all. When the going gets tough as a paid pastor, you know what the temptations to do? There are many temptations. But the temptation that I, I have seen before is to view... It's pastoring as a job. Kind of just a, a business-like mentality. In other words, when we as elders take our eyes off Christ and our internal, eternal 
reward, we can begin to look at pastoring for what it gives us now. What's in, it, what's in it for me now? What are the perks, the paycheck that I can get now? As opposed to looking to Christ. What earthly benefit can I derive now? It's possible. See, it's not wrong to expect that a laborer will receive his wages. Right? In fact, the Bible argues for, I think, the rightful compensation of those who make their living by proclaiming the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. But our ultimate reward will not come now in the form of a paycheck, but in the day of Christ's appearing. On that day, Peter's saying, elders, pay attention. The chief shepherd, oh, he's going to give you your wages. He gives his wages to his under-shepherds. But Peter is keen to remind the elders in verse 4 what those are. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, here it is, the unfading crown of glory. Sounds good, but what is that? The unfading crown of glory. I believe he's speaking about the eternal honor. Often denied us here on earth for elders who serve well. Church, would you as well pray for us as elders that such a vision would capture our hearts and make us eager and zealous to shepherd, to give our life for the sheep and our great shepherd. And lastly, the third contrast, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Simply put, elders are not cowboys. Elders do not derive their flock or in the cowboy sense, they're heard from behind. No, elders are shepherds. Now, Peter's readers would have been very familiar with this biblical, with this metaphor of shepherding. They would have understood that a shepherd doesn't drive from behind, but a shepherd walks in front of his flock, and he calls the sheep to follow. That's what shepherds do. They walk in front. They lead by example, not by shouting orders from behind or cracking the whip, all right, like a cowboy. But believe me, when the battle heats up as elders, yeah, we want to put on our little cowboy hat and fire a few verbal rounds at our perceived enemies or even our friends. (laughs) Oh, church, may it not be. We lead not by force, nor by intimidation. We are to lead by example. An example in our speech as well as our deeds. That's why as pastors, our marriage, our parenting, and our home life are not merely private matters. We are to lead by example, to be on full display in our home life as well as the church. I was just thinking about this yesterday and looking out my patio and my large sliding glass doors at the back of our house. And as a family, we just laugh sometimes because we have these large windows that look out on this golf cart path. And on these large windows in the back of our townhouse, we have no solid blinds. And we just think, 
We spend most of our time in the living room. What do people think as they walk by and look in the back of our house? What do they see? Then I thought, you know what? That's pastoring. Pastoring. It's like having windows, but no blinds. At least no solid blinds. We are to lead by example. Would you pray for us as well? That we would lead from out front, knowing that the truth is not just taught. Yes, it is caught. I'm, I'm not talking about a perfect example, okay? I think you understand that. No one can live under that pressure. And we're not perfect. But I'm talking about an example of someone who lives by the forgiving and empowering grace of God. Someone who's willing to take the shots and not just fire them. That's what I'm talking about. A humble leader. A humble leader. But Peter doesn't stop there. He's been addressing the elders. He's now going to turn and address those who are part of the flock. Those who follow. Verse 5. Which can be summed up simply in point 2. As members humbly relate. Point 1. Elders. Right? Humbly pastor. Oh yeah. Elders. Excuse me. Members humbly relate. Verse 5. Let's read it again. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves and all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's interesting, isn't it? Peter starts with those who are, quote unquote, younger. I believe in the context here, he is talking about those who are younger in the church, submitting to the elders, speaking of the office of elders in the local church. But why would Peter add such an exhortation in verse 5? Well, simply put, humility works both ways, right? Yes, it's for the leaders. We lead in this humility. But so does it pertain to the members as well. And in particular, it's interesting, he mentions those who are younger. Now, in Jewish reckoning, what does younger mean? Well, those who are typically under 30. In fact, just about all of our members this morning are under 30 years of age. But why would Peter specifically address or target, exhort the younger members? Well, in the words of one commentator, Peter Davids, quote, speaking of this younger contingent in the church, their very readiness for service and commitment can make them impatient with the leaders who are not ready to move as quickly or as radically as they are. Youth, aspiring members, all members, beware. Let's face it. Al and I, as your elders, are not in that younger category any longer. I mean, Al hasn't been in that category for a long time, guys. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> Oh, I've been out of it for a while as well. And it's true that we might move a little more slowly these days in implementing change. And that could be because we have limited energy and resources. That's true. But I hope it's for this reason as well. That we've learned some lessons the hard way about moving too quickly as your leaders. You see, to not domineer over those in our charge often means moving more slowly and including others, you, 
in our decision-making process. Slowly listening rather than lobbying, lobbying decrees on the run. Church, we're learning. We have changes to make at Palm Vista. You know what? It takes humility to follow patiently as well. It takes humility on all our parts, doesn't it? That's the final portion of our verse. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Church, we have a rich history. You know, we've been at it for 19 years. You know what? This is the amazing thing. We're still changing. We're still reforming. And by the way, if you're new, that's good. Okay? I'm not saying we're changing, like radically changing our theology. No, no. But we're changing. And we should. I hope that's a comfort to you as well today. Not compromising the essentials, the gospel, but we are seeking to be better pastors and to lead and shepherd more effectively, to make changes as such that would encourage you and help you equip the saints and disciple others. We're getting there. We're changing. It takes time. It's part of being a humble church. So thank you for your patience with us as well. It takes humility. But this humility we're talking about, it's not just an absence of, absence of pride. Now, this humility that we're talking about, that we all need to have as part of the church, is a humility that recognizes God at work in our midst. It's a humility that recognizes God's grace. And we're going to do that in just a few moments. This isn't just a formality. We introduce the new members and clap, yay. You know what we're doing? We're humbly identifying God's grace in our midst. We are saying, Lord, this is your generosity as we sang. This is your goodness towards us. Lord, thank you for the gift of each and every life who you have redeemed by your blood and purchased for you that they may be part of your flock. We're saying it is good and we are rejoicing. You get it? That's what we're doing in humility this morning. So with that in mind, I want to introduce you to our six members. 